Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. Good morning and welcome back to the Truth Hurts Program with your host, Steve Z. It's finally Friday. But the bad news is I don't have the Friday jingle for you today. We had a little unfortunate incident at the main computer server at the Studio 63 headquarters where the Truth Herds program is produced. And now I have to rebuild all of my fun jingles, commercials, spots, and other promos from the ground up. So today's program will likely not be laced with lots of funny, but with a lot of content. Let's get started. Shall we? Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. The 911 operator received a call from a woman who was frantic and said, something just came through the windshield and hit my mom in the head. The woman was driving on Interstate 95 to Daytona Beach on Wednesday of this week. And on that 911 call, the driver heeded directions from the dispatcher, worked to stop the bleeding using towels. There's so much blood, the driver said. According to a report in Click Orlando, the injured woman suffered a gash to the forehead and she was a passenger in a car with her daughter driving. The driver of the car, her daughter, told the dispatcher, Mother never lost consciousness. At first, the projectile seemed to be a mystery. Could it be a piece of concrete? It came flying straight through the glass, right through the windshield. Three minutes into the call, the driver and the Good Samaritan identified the object that struck the 71-year-old mom in the head. What could it be? There's a turtle in there, the caller said. The dispatcher said, a turtle? The woman answered, a turtle, an actual turtle. The pair were heading north near Port Orange, Florida, when a turtle came crashing through their ride. The mother is expected to be okay, and so is the turtle, ironically, which just had scratches on its shell. It was released into a nearby woodsy area. The turtle was not called in for questioning. The origin of the turtle, of course, remains a mystery. Road debris smashing into your windshield is not an uncommon occurrence. Neither, apparently, are turtle projectiles in the state of Florida. Troopers figured the turtle must have been nicked by another car and was cast aloft by the tires of another car, which flung it airborne into the window of the mother's car. Back in May of 2016, a turtle torpedoed through a woman's windshield on I-4 in Deltona. The turtle and the startled driver in that instance were okay as well. And turtles have crashed into car windshields in Georgia, South Carolina in the past two and a half years. I'm starting to wonder, is it a shelled conspiracy? Hmm. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. It must really be hell being a Democrat politician in America in 2021. They must wake up every morning and say, To which minority group shall I pander today? The blacks, the Asians, the Hispanics, the gay men, the lesbian women, the I-don't-know-what-my-gender-is crowd, the environmentalists, the Trump haters, BM, Antifa, the defund-the-police crowd. Oh, there are so many minorities and so little time when you're a pandering Democrat politician. And when you lump all of those so-called minorities together, they actually make up more than the majority. That's what Democrat pandering politicians want you to believe. And as a straight, white, conservative, Caucasian, monogamous male in America, I feel like I am badgered. I am discriminated against. I am the defiled minority. 
After all, when's the last time you heard of a hiring preference for white men in this nation? Never. Sometimes Democrats pandering to one minority, well, it causes them to screw up and leave out another minority. I guess they have to check the anemometer to see which way the media winds are blowing on a given day. Business Insider reported that Minnesota Senators Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith missed a crucial vote on anti-Asian hate crime bills while attending the Dante Wright funeral. Oopsie. Let's face it, Asian Americans make up only 3-5% to of the population, depending on whether you include India and Pakistan. Blafrican Americans' AA 13% hyphenated minority make up 13%, according to official figures. Amy Klobuchar, the panderer, and Tina Smith, the kiss-ass, made a conscious decision to simply snub the anti-Asian hate crime bill vote so they could go and celebrate the life of a Blafrican American criminal, Deontay Wright, who died because he made a conscious decision to try and fight the cops, resist arrest, and attempt to run over police as he escaped capture during a traffic stop instead of getting electrified during the ordeal he found out the hard way that he was definitely allergic to bullets. I guess Klobuchar and Smith said, screw the Asians. They're only three to five percent. I need to pander to the 13 percent minority, the vocal minority, the begging, pissing, bitching, whining, complaining, and moaning minority. I guess they said, screw the Asians. That bill will pass without us. Minnesota's two senators missed the vote because they were attending Dante Wright's funeral. After all, it was their duty to pander to their Democrat voter base there in Minnesota. Hundreds of mourners gathered in Minneapolis on Thursday to remember the criminal Dante Wright, including Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, the Reverend Al Sharptongue, Attorney Ben Crump, and Governor Tim Waltz, along with family members of Eric Garner, Philando Castile, and members of the criminal thug George Floyd's family. And with their recent $27 million windfall settlement with the city of Minneapolis, you're going to be seeing a whole lot more of the George Floyd family at any event that involves supposed systemic racism against African American minorities. They don't have to work now. They have $27 million so they can jet set around the country thanks to their criminal, drug-addled, deceased relative, the criminal thug George Floyd. You would think by now, after all of these people seeing their African american loved ones being killed by police for resisting arrest, for attacking police, for fighting and flailing and doing things that they all seem to have a tendency to do, doing the exact same thing while being arrested, after deliberately, intentionally, willfully and wantonly committing crimes, you would think by now the African american community would get the message, take the hint, learn the lesson, and simply stop resisting arrest. You would think, but here we are. You would also think that the media would be sick and tired by now of reporting this lie of so-called systemic racism, while promoting the continuous lie that these so-called victims of police violence were fine, upstanding, law-abiding citizens who were simply innocently targeted and killed in some blood sport by a systemic, academy-taught process of seeking out black men for target practice. You would think by now that the media would start telling the whole story, show the entire video footage of the entire encounter, 
including talking about the crimes that these thug criminal animals are committing, the reason the cops were called in the first place, the total disregard for the safety of the community, of themselves and of the cops. You think they'd start showing the disrespectful interactions toward police, the resisting, the flailing, the fighting, the kicking, the spitting, the biting, and the fleeing. You would think the media would get tired of lying to the public by showing pictures of these thug criminals with lengthy arrest and felony convictions in their middle school graduation robe, or a picture holding a puppy, or a picture smiling at a baby. You would think by now they would start showing the gang photos, the pictures of these thug criminals holding their AK-47s, their Tech 9s their Mac-11s, their AR-15s, their Glocks, their Uzis. No. You would think that the media by now would publish excerpts from these thugs' criminal social media pages where they openly bash the cops, call for death and destruction. You know, like that same slimeball media does when a white kid does something wrong, or Donald Trump says anything. How they pry and fish and dig and report on any social media post that child or Donald Trump ever had. They try, they find ways to try and tie white people as white supremacists or as KKK members because the white kid might have driven a pickup truck or played country music on the old red didio. Nope. Instead of voting on a law to protect the Vietnamese, the Koreans, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Filipinos, and all of the other Asian Americans from so-called hate crimes because someone dared one time to call the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019 the China virus, or the Kung flu, or the Wuhan China flu, these fine senators, Amy Klobuchar, Tina Smith, made a conscious decision, a concerted effort to go out and pander to a much more Democrat-friendly minority. The one minority that Democrats know that they can fool and continue to fool and have fooled for 60-plus years the AA, 13% hyphenated American minority who think Democrats actually care about black people. The trick Blafrican Americans into thinking that Democrats give a damn about them. All Democrats care about is votes. And with a willing populace of the 13% hyphenated American minority, some voting twice, three, four, five times, they need that Blafrican American vote. Someone asked me the other day, why do you say Blafrican American? Well, I'm starting to say black, but that might be offensive to somebody. So my instinct is to say black because that's what it was for so, so many years. And then I realize I shouldn't say black, I should say African American. So it kind of blends in like black African American. Yes, United States Senators Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith had to make that appearance on stage at Dante Wright's funeral. They had to make it look like they actually gave a damn about another black criminal who broke the law, who resisted arrest, who carried a gun without a permit, who failed to show up for court, who had a warrant out for his arrest, who got pulled over for having expired tags, and then resisted arrest again once the officers realized he had a warrant for his arrest. He attempted to fight them. He attempted to flee. He refused to obey lawful instructions of a police officer. He got into the car after being told not to. He reached for something. Could it have been a knife? Could it have been a gun? No, in this case, it was the ignition switch. But he very simply could have made the choice to throw the car into reverse instead of into drive. He could have backed up over those police officers, injuring or killing them. But who gives a damn about police officers' lives? Blue lives don't matter. 
Then, in a moment of pure accident, a police officer with 26 years' experience reached for the wrong weapon and fired a single bullet into this black man's chest. She didn't look down at her service belt because she was busy trying to keep an eye on the suspect, who very well may have been reaching for a knife or a gun to do bodily harm to this white officer or to the black officer who was initiating the arrest. She did not look down for that split second because she had to maintain a constant visual line of sight with the criminal Deontay Wright. She thought she was reaching for her taser, a device which in your hand at a split second's notice kind of resembles a gun. And then she squeezed the trigger on that device one time, which is what you do with a taser, and you hold your finger down because you want to send 50,000 wonderful volts of electricity into the body of your intended suspect, your target. You hold that down. It's a single depression of that trigger. Oh, believe me, had Officer Kim Potter wanted to shoot Dante Wright with a pistol, she would have fired instinctively more than once. She knew she had a taser in her hand. Well, at least she thought she did. Amy Klobuchar, Tina Wright, grandstanded at the funeral of Dante Wright. They had to be shown there. The hell with the Asian anti-hate crime bill. Make sure y'all sees us at the funeral, though, right? Y'all be voting Democrat in the fall, y'all. That makes me wonder, will the White House ever sign off on an anti-white hate crime legislation? Or an anti-cop hate crime legislation? Hmm. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. It's 2.45 a.m. And somewhere in a sketchy part of town, three teenage boys with cans of spray paint set out to do something that teenage boys have been doing for decades. They wanted to make their mark on society. So they tagged a building or a boxcar or an old billboard. They painted pictures and words on buildings. Some people might find those pictures and words offensive. It's called graffiti. American graffiti. They've even made movies about it. American graffiti. Oh, woe is me. Lord help us all if that graffiti is Snoopy or Garfield or a Smurf or a nose peeking over a fence or a poorly drawn Beavis and Butthead. Shame on you if the words say something like Roger was here or Globe Squad or simply the letter Z. The cops get called. The kids go to juvenile detention. The parents are called. Someone has to repaint or pay to have the graffiti removed. But if that graffiti resembles the dead criminal thug that died in Minneapolis of a drug overdose that was blamed on a cop's knee, and that graffiti has the sacred words, Black Lives Matter, then it's not considered graffiti at all. Then it's called a mural. It is a thing of beauty, a thing of honor in the eyes of not only its creator and the beholder, but of course the media and Democrat politicians. And if some other graffiti artist dares to paint over that mural, either with a roller or a spray can, dares to remove it, dares to write anything upon the sacred likeness of the dead criminal thug, that graffiti artist is considered a criminal, an evil blasphemer worthy of being beaten, stabbed, or even shot. Let's be real here. The criminal thug George Floyd is dead. Deal with it. He died because he was a criminal. He died because he was resisting arrest. He died because he was high on fentanyl and meth and had a heart condition. I'm not trying to be an ass. I'm just being realistic. 
Had he been a fine, upstanding citizen, a fine black man like, oh, I don't know, Herman Cain, George Floyd would likely be alive today. Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why are there murals and tributes and places of honor for a criminal thug? It's like the whole damn country's been turned upside down. No, inside out. We demonize law enforcement heroes. We honor criminal thugs. We call for rewriting the actual history books, redefining the very words of our English language. We promote criminal activity. We dismantle our legal system. We say boys are girls and girls are boys when the glaring reality is located right between their legs. We call success failure and failure success. We've politically corrected reality from society. We've castigated true heroes while we elevate crooks to places of honor. Our leaders are not leaders, but stirrers of an ever-heating pot of lies, false narratives, and political rhetoric. We've torn down the very fabric of family life in favor of some lie that it takes a village to raise a child. It takes two parents who first love and care for the child, and secondly, do everything they can to protect the child, teaching the child right from wrong, good from bad. Well, people, the village is full of idiots, and the leaders of the village are supreme idiots. A George Floyd mural in Houston was defaced with a racial slur overnight on Thursday, just a day or so after the former police officer who was convicted of killing him got his sentence read. Someone spray-painted a slur followed by Lives Don't Matter in a warping of the name of the Black Lives Matter bowel movement. Police Chief of Houston, Troy Fenner, said, Let me tell you something, and I want everybody to understand. Ignorant people with bad hearts and bad motivations, do not give them the power. Don't give them the power. The actual article goes on then to retell the tale of the criminal thug George Floyd who died of a drug overdose and a heart attack while in police custody. The article retells the entire riled-up tale of how a knee on the neck and three guilty verdicts against a cop who was simply doing his job of subduing a raging drug-addled criminal in that criminal's attempt to resist arrest and flee the cops died. The article goes on and on, blathering and bloviating about the horrible police in our nation in the year 2021. This, the fact that someone spray-painted over a mural to a criminal that made national news headlines. My question, of course, is why? It's just another person out tagging, like people do, like people have done for decades. It's okay to spray paint graffiti in the words, Black Lives Matter. But don't you dare spray Blue Lives Matter or White Lives Matter, because that makes you a racist. And that, my friends, shows just what a sad state this nation is in. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. When you make a conscious effort to be famous, to be in the limelight, to be a public figure, you need to understand that some people might like you. Some may even love you. But you should also be keenly aware of the fact that some people may dislike you. Some may even hate you. There's also a fact that some people might seek to cut you down publicly, either out of jealousy or envy, or just because some people just suck. Some people don't even recognize your fame and don't give a damn. They're the common sense folks in America. 
Hell, it doesn't matter if you're Kathy Bates, Vin Diesel, Vanna White, Oprah Winfrey, Barack Hussein Obama, or Donald Trump. You could be on the Vanderbilt Wrestling Team or WWE All-Stars. You could be on the Buffalo Bills or the Martin Middle School Choir, for that matter. When you make a choice to join a public group or you become a famous entertainer solo act, the moment that you step into the limelight, whether it's on a Broadway stage or the podium down at the VFW Hall or on the karaoke stage of your favorite watering hole, you have made a choice to open yourself to either fame and fortune or ridicule and bashing. That's reality. One of the prices that someone has to pay for their fame, for their inclusion in certain groups or organizations is, you have to follow certain rules, certain appearance standards, etc. And if you don't follow those rules, conform to those requirements, you're either drummed out of the business or you simply fail. And in this day and age, while we wait for the NFL to tell us the full extent of the so-called mistreatment of the Washington Redskins cheerleaders, Steve, they're the Washington football team. No, damn it, they're the Washington Redskins, and they always will be. Or while we wait for people to face consequences of the department-wide toxic environment alleged against LSU athletics in Baton Rouge, we bring you now a story of young women being let down by the very adults who were supposed to be looking out for them. On Thursday, the Los Angeles Slimes newspaper posted an investigation into the rotten culture of the University of Southern California's Song Girls, the school's famous dance squad. According to this article, 10 women spoke about their experiences being on the Song Girls, their events of being badgered about their weight and their eating habits, their having to wear full face makeup at all times, even when they weren't performing or making an appearance of being shamed for their sex lives. According to this document, emails, text messages, and contracts that the girls are forced to sign support their claims that they were mistreated. If you don't like what you're doing, quit. If you don't like the culture of that dance squad, form your own damned dance squad. Be better on your own. It's an all too familiar tale, but they keep telling it. It's depressing to see another story of how terribly young women continue to be allegedly treated or mistreated, and how one singular unrealistic idea of what a woman should look like is still held up as a standard. Newsflash, some people like that look. Many people like that look. Most people like that look. The look of a fit and trim, beautiful, smiling person dancing to entertain you. No offense to those of us who are a little overweight. I'm sure someone would much rather look at a taut, tanned, 19-year-old college dance squad girl, fit and trim, with her hair done right, and a properly applied makeup regimen to her beautiful face dancing, as opposed to, let's say, Melissa McCarthy or a pre-weight loss Rebel Wilson flabbing about. It's worse, though, according to these girls at USC, when the mistreatment comes from a woman. Why should it be any different? I thought we were a genderless society. The Song Girls have been a prominent part of USC since 1967, when the student body then overwhelmingly voted to allow women to join the Spirit Squad, which until 1966 had been all male. They don't just dance at Trojans football games. They represent the school at fundraisers and other events around the globe. 
While longtime Song Girls coach Lori Nelson worked to maintain a veneer of all-American perfection for women on the squad, behind the scenes, she was reportedly tormenting them. One girl, Josie Bullen, who had been a dancer her entire life, let's see, what is she, 19? Her entire life, was thrilled to earn a coveted spot on the Song Girls when she arrived at USC in 2017 and she claims she developed eating disorders within a year and had to seek intensive outpatient treatment. Sounds like she made some choices, doesn't it? Two more of the 10 women who spoke with the Times said they developed body image issues and eating disorders because of the demands Nelson put on the song girls in terms of their weight. A third girl said she became so depressed she contemplated suicide. That's stupid. If you don't like it, quit. Leave. Is it that damned important? Being a cheerleader or a dancer at a friggin' school? Is prancing around half nude in a tight outfit that important to you that you would take your own life because someone told you you had to fit into the costume that you're wearing? Because someone told you that the image of that coveted squad is so adored because of the regimen, because of the requirements, because of the stringent rules in place? Eight of the ten squad members sought counseling, which underscores how bad things supposedly were, according to one song girl. She visited a campus therapist back in 2013. A lawyer for Coach Nelson said she vehemently and unequivocally denies the allegations. But Nelson is not the first woman to be accused of this type of abuse, especially in the gymnastics, cheerleading, and dance team world. Women who were supposed to be mentors, sometimes spoken of as second mothers, whose demanding style crosses into demeaning and degrading, always to the detriment of the mental health of those they're supposed to be guiding and helping. Listen, folks, there are guidelines for fitness, for weight, for size, and for ability. No offense, but Flabby Abby or Two-Ton Tessie is not going to be able to do the same things as Petite Patricia does on the parallel bars or on the dance floor. Those are facts. People like to look at fit and trim bodies, not flailing, flabby, flopping through ill-fitting clothing. Sorry. The reason these girls chose to try so hard to become members of that song girl team or a gymnastics team is because they liked the image of what they saw, what those teams represented. Fit, trim, beautiful. Not Flabby Abby, not Two-Ton Tessie, not Overweight Oprah, not Gargantuan Gertrude, not Obese Ophelia, not Porky Pamela, not Beastly Bertha, Massive Mary, or Sloppy Susan. They are there to see fit, trim, tight bodies, beautiful faces, and abilities. That's it. Think about it. Skinny Sammy is not going to be an effective right tackle at 125 pounds, and Fat Frank is not going to make it in the high jump or the hurdles. There are standards set for athletics, standards set for dance teams, standards set for many, many things in our society. After several women complained to school administrators about how toxic the program was, USC opened a Title IX investigation. The Times reported that a dozen women shared negative experiences with Nelson and the Song Girls, but eight former team members spoke positively about Nelson. So what it amounts to, boys and girls, is those who cut it didn't complain. Those who didn't cut it complained. Typical, right? 
All of this for a dance team. All of this to be part of something that was formed and molded since 1967 to fit a certain requirement, a certain image. But now, they want to tear that down because someone hurt their little feelings. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. That's going to wrap up this morning's edition of the Truth Hurts Program. It's Friday, everybody. Thank God. Go out there and make it a great day, and we'll see you next time. Let's face it. Crap happens. My car, you know, it like, it like doesn't have like, you know, like that automatic brake thingy. Like, you know, that tech that like, like makes the car like, you know, stop like by itself. So you don't have to like, you know, like slam on the like the brakes when you're getting ready to like, you know, hit the car in front of you. And so I like smashed into this like car and the lady was like really mad because she like, you know, she had her like her head snapped back and she claimed like she had, you know, like whiplash or something. It's just not fair. Like poor people like me are getting screwed like all the time. Were you involved in an accident that was totally your fault if you're looking to blame someone else for your own stupidity? Call the law firm of We Know How to Rip Them Off and Good today at 1-800-SCREW-U-2. That's 1-800-SCREW-U-2 today. Our team of expert attorneys will show that income equality caused your accident and you won't have to pay a dime to the privileged elitists in that expensive luxury car. Call now. I am a non-attorney spokesperson. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts program network. All rights reserved.